How is everybody? You should be on the stage when that video plays. It's like, uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's pretty wild. Like every follicle of hair on my head, I can feel like moving. Um, okay, fun story. So if you're a parent and you've been through this, you're gonna, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll have some uh, uh, empathy with my family on this. So we got back from, from Disney World, which was awesome. And both of my girls had their tonsils and adenoids taken out about 12 days ago. And uh, <laughs> in the same day, same time, right? If you know anything about that, it's not the procedure that's a big deal. They get out pretty quick. It's, it's the recovery time, right? They can't leave the house for like 10 to 14 days. And so, you know, watching many movies, we watched all eight Star Wars movies in chronological order. <laughs> and uh, yeah, watched all those. And, um, and then <laughs> we have Netflix, you know, thank God for Netflix in these kinds of times. And and my daughters have been watching this show. Uh, it's, it's a real show, like a live action show from Australia about mermaids. It's like this like drama about like, it's a soap opera for kids around mermaids and mermen and the tension between the two and, and uh, you know how that goes, right? And, um, and so my wife has also gotten sucked in to this mermaid <laughs> drama thing. And there's only so much of this I can handle, right? So. Uh, our, our, our house is kind of an open floor plan thing. So like the, you know, kitchen, kitchen, living room, and all kind of, you know, is one big room. And, and so I just like go do the dishes and they're watching this, this mermaid drama unfold. And, and uh, again, apparently, you know, you know, everyone knows this, I guess, except for me, but mermen and merwin, mermaids, merwomen, <laughs> mermaids don't get along with each other, I guess, on this show, right? And, um, but there was this one merman who got to be friends with the mermaids and, and uh, but he ended up being a bad guy, right? And so, like, it's gotten so bad to where, like, the kids will start playing, and Alicia's like, shh, you know, and I'm like, anyway, so uh, <laughs> we're watching this. I'm not watching. They're watching this show, and the merman turns around. It's this big epic moment, you know, this big division between the mermaids and mermen, and this, this bad merman, and uh, Vi, my, she's not even five yet. She's about to be five. Serious as can be in this sweet little, like, five-year-old voice, she goes, that guy's bad. He needs to go to hell. <laughs> and I was doing the dishes and I was like, and I kind of looked up and Alicia, you know, I'm waiting for Alicia to like, you know, she, you're sitting right there, but she's got her face buried in the pillow because she's laughing, right? <laughs> and she's got her face buried and I'm washing the dishes and I was like, you know, teachable moment, right? I'm like, hey, Vi, like, you know, like we, we don't want anyone to go to hell, right? Hell's a terrible place. We don't want any, anyone to go there. Even rebellious mermen, we don't want them to go to hell. <laughs> either, you know, and uh, we had this big <laughs> conversation, and um, anyways, that's fun, right? Kids were a blast. So, uh, <laughs> um, okay, if you haven't been here for a while, uh, we're not the most formal church you've ever been to. So, uh, we're going through a series. We typically don't do series. We do whole books of the Bible. We're about to get into the book of James, which I'm very excited about, and we'll just do about five weeks of that, and then we'll go into the book of Acts, and that's going to be our big series in the fall, right? And we'll be in that for a long time, the, the book of Acts. Uh, what we've been doing though, because every summer we kind of do something similar to this, we've been hitting on fundamentals of the Christian faith, if you will. So if you come into this place four or five weeks ago and you had no idea what Christianity is, we're kind of building up a little bit about the essentials of our Christian faith. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, it's good to be reminded of these things sometimes, right? So Dave started off, did a great job, taught on purpose, taught on perseverance, uh, last week, I got to talk about truth, and today we're going to talk about something that sounds extremely churchy, a word called holiness. And I'm just going to be honest with you. 
When I came into being a Christian, I was about 23. I was about to turn 23 years old. I bet two years went by before I understood what this word meant. It's a very churchy word. People would say, oh, you know, we need to live in holiness and be holy like God is holy. And I'm like, I I don't know what that means, right? I was just ignorant to what this terminology meant. So today, we're going to talk about what the word holy means, because we have to understand what that is if we're going to be like that, right? And then we're going to talk about what it means for us to live in holiness, what it looks like for us to be holy like God is holy. That's what the Bible tells us to do, right? So we'll get into that a little bit today, and um, we'll see where the Lord takes us. Hey, before I pray, um, and I probably don't do this enough, and, and, and please don't clap or anything because I get all weird when you guys do that, but uh, um, I don't thank you guys enough for, for the privilege I get of doing this. Um, you know, sometimes people come up and they're just like, you know, th- thanks for the church and thank you for doing this, and, and I almost feel like I'm like, thank you. I mean, like, I, I love what I do. There's no place in the world I'd rather be than here, and there's no one I'd rather be around than you, and I'm not just saying that, like, I, I, lo- I love this, and I love what we get to do here, and I, I love how honest all of you are, and um, from not just me, but all the people that work here, we are extremely humbled and just grateful that we get to do what we do for you guys, and we hope that we, we can serve you as best as we can, and I just want to tell you thank you. That's what I'm beating around the bush to get to. I just... I just want to tell you thank you. Um, and we have a good church. Hey, I said, hey. <laughs> let's pray. Thanks, Jeff. Um, let's pray, and uh, we'll jump into this. Father God, I love you so much. Lord, I love you so much. God, thank you for this church. Thank you just for just such neat people that you've put around me. God, I feel so blessed. Lord, I pray, God, that you're honored today by us just talking about the word and digging into this idea of holiness. And I pray that you keep your hands on all the people in this room, God. I pray if there's anyone in here who, who's not a believer, they struggle with doubt or their faith, I just pray that they feel comfortable and I pray that something today just sparks an interest and a desire in them to dig deeper, God. Keep your hand on us, Lord. Bless every church in our community. Bless our mayor, our city officials our sheriff's department, our police department, our fire department, God, people that protect us and keep us safe, Lord. Just keep your hand on our city, God. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if we're going to talk about holiness, we get to go, go back to old Webster's Dictionary and see what Webster has to say about it, right? In Webster's Dictionary, if you get there, you don't get a lot of clarity on what holiness is by its first definition, because it says it means you are, you are in the state of being holy. Well, if I don't know what holy means, I don't know what it means to be in holiness. I don't know what it means to be in that state. If you go down a little bit further, we get a little bit more clarity from Webster's, but not a ton, where it says that we are either sanctified, which means we're set apart by God, or we have a total devotion to God. Okay, that sheds a little bit of light on it, right? So that's why we call the Pope, His Holiness the Pope, right? This is a man who is dedicated, he has devoted his entire life to following God. So we have terminologies like that, right? This still doesn't really, at least to me, give me a very clear depiction of what holy is. And if I'm to be holy like God is holy, if I am to live in holiness, I need to know what holy is. So if you go into the Bible, very simply put, the Bible states that what is holy? God is holy. But again, I need to understand what that means on very practical terms. So the first thing that the word holy is synonymous with is holy is synonymous with perfection. God is perfect. Jesus claims not only to know the truth, as we talked about last week, Jesus claims to be the truth. 
Many times in the Old Testament, the Bible says that God is holy, meaning that God is holy in his nature. He's perfect in his nature, and he is perfect in everything he does, all of his decisions. In fact, David said this, as for God, his ways are perfect, his word is flawless. In other words, if we're going to move forward with the lesson today, we have to understand this. If God does it, it's good. Regardless if I understand it, regardless if I agree with it, it's good. God's perfect. I'm not. If he does it, that is holy. Bottom line, okay? He is perfect. He makes no mistake, all right? The next part of holy that we need to understand, God is holy in the fact that he is perfect. God is also holy in the fact that there is nothing like him. He is completely unique to everything else. 1 Samuel 2.2 says, there is no one holy like the Lord. There is no one beside them, means he has no equal. And there is no rock like our God. There's nothing, nothing as solid. There's nothing as secure. There is nothing in the universe like God. God speaking through the prophet Hosea, he says this, God to mankind, for I'm God and I'm not man. We're not on the, we're not on the same playing field, God says. I'm up here and you're down here. You are man, I'm the creator of man, I'm the holy one. The only thing like God in the entire galaxy, the entire universe, is God. So God is beyond us as humans, and we need to be humble enough to know that He's omnipresent, He's omniscient, He's, uh, he, he, he is the one that is above everything else, He is the all-knowing, all-sovereign, all-in-control God, and we are not, Okay. That's what we have to come to the conclusion of. Simply put, what, does, what is the definition of holy? God. God is holy. God's perfection and his goodness pervade his entire being and they shape everything he does, all of his attributes. His love is perfect. His mercy is perfect. Even when God gets mad, he's perfect in that. He's justified in that and his anger is a righteous anger. Whatever God says is the truth, whatever he does is perfect, God is the standard for holiness. Now, again, I would say that most of us in, the, in this room are like, well, duh, that's why we worship him, right? Yeah, he's God and we're not. We get it. He's perfect. He's holy. Here's where the speed bump comes in. The Bible says that it's written that we are to be holy like God is holy. Now, that's a problem, right? When we see all these things that God is and then we acknowledge how messed up we are, how in the world can we be holy like God is holy? And the Bible tells us multiple times to do that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Be holy like God is holy. So what we're going to do, if you have your Bible with you, you don't have to turn there. I've got all the notes for you and everything else. Or if you have the, the smartphone app, uh, the YouVersion app, you can look it up on there. In 1 Peter 13, through 16, we're going to address this a little bit. And we're going to start to tackle the question, how can you and I be holy like God is holy? Okay, let me read you something. Peter says, therefore, with your minds ready for action, be serious and set your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires of your former ignorance, but as the one who has called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. 
So this is what the Bible tells us to do. So we need to start thinking, how do we start going down the road of being more like God? How do we start going down the road of holiness? Well, the first step on the road to being more like God and to being holy like he is holy is holiness begins with us knowing how God looks at us. This may be one of the most important slides today. Before we can start going down the path of holiness, we must know that we are valued by God. There are many of us in this room that struggle with this, including myself. There are many of us in this room that have broken relationships with our parents. I have a great relationship with my mother. My father hasn't spoken to me in years. He disowned me when I was 17 years old. And so sometimes, I'm not saying that to demean my dad or talk bad about him, but because of the strife I've had with my biological father, sometimes I equate that to my heavenly father. I don't know if anyone else has done this, right? And so I have a hard time being affirmed and valued by God because I never got it from my biological father. And one of the things that a lot of us have to come into is if we're going to start down the road of getting a relationship with God, we have to understand that God loves us more than anything. If you look at the beauty of the entire galaxy, if you look at pictures from the Hubble telescope, if you look at the beauty of the sky around us and nature around us, God loves you more than all of that. You are the masterpiece of God's creation. How do we know that? Because his word says so. The Bible says that before we were even knit together in our mother's womb, God knew us. Everything about us, every hair on our head, every desire of our heart before we were even created. Not only did he know us before we were born, the Bible says that God gave his only son to die for us. As Paul said, while we were still sinners. God knew that you were going to cheat on your wife or be mean at work or look at pornography. God knew that you were going to cheat on your taxes or steal. He knew all those things. And even knowing those things about you, he still sent his only son to die. Even further than knowing us and dying for us, we are the only thing that's ever been created that resembles God. We are made in his image. He loves us so much, he made us to look like him, and he breathed his spirit into us. The only thing that's ever been created that has the breath of God inside of them, that is you. And if we're going to start down the road of becoming like God, we must understand that we are loved by God, loved by him. When we start to understand that we're loved by him, we're going to respond to that. And the proper response to knowing that we're loved by God is to ask for forgiveness for anything we've done to offend God. And that's called repentance. Now, repentance goes just beyond just saying we're sorry, right? It actually means making life changes by stopping certain actions, by stopping certain thoughts. It means that we change the way we think and we act. For instance, if I come home every day and I yell at my wife, right? I've had a bad day and I just come in just screaming and yelling at her, right? And I say, oh, Alicia, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. She says, well, I forgive you. But then I come back on Tuesday and I do it again. God, Alicia, I'm sorry, I forgive you. But then I come back on Wednesday and I do it again. I have not truly repented, though I've said I'm sorry. Truly repenting means we start to take steps to change the way we do things. And when we respond to God's love, there's a change. Not only responding to his love, we have to commit to a relationship with God. Peter says that we need to get our minds ready for action, which means we need to make up in our minds that we are going to follow God. Do you know why we don't just follow God simply based on our emotions and feelings? Do you know why we don't do that? 
because you're not always going to feel God. Do we worship Him in spirit and truth? Yes, of course. We worship God with our emotions and our heart, but we also worship Him with our mind and our logic. And there are times when you're not going to know the answer, but you're going to feel God. There's other times when you're not going to feel God, but you know the answer. And we must be committed to following Jesus in our minds. Why? Because holiness, moving closer to being like God, takes discipline. Peter, a man who was murdered for his faith, said that we need to take this seriously. Now listen, guys, I love you, and I know this is not our church, but in the United States, we claim to be 68% Christian, and I've said this to you before. Our movies, our ideals, our culture, our governments, our institutions do not reflect a 68 percentile Christian belief. They just don't. So we can say we're a Christian nation until we're blue in the face, but we are nominally Christian, which means we are Christian by name only, not by action. And Peter says that's not the way it's supposed to be. Take this seriously. Make up in your mind that you're going to have a relationship with God. Now listen, we must also be realistic, right? Though the Bible says we can be holy like God is holy in the sense that we live by the Bible's standards, we live by God's principles, listen, we're never going to be perfect like God is perfect. Here's the beauty though. God is not asking for perfection. God is asking for commitment. God knows you're going to mess up. He knows you're going to make mistakes, but we repent for that. We change some behaviors. We change some thoughts. We rely on him to help us, and we get back on the horse, and we move forward. This is not an excuse because we're all imperfect. This is not an excuse for us to do wrong things. You guys know those people, right? Like they're doing something awful, and you call them out on it, and they're just like, well, we all have sin, right? Well, that's great. Cheat on your wife. That's awesome, right? So-and-so down the street stole something once upon a time, so you can have an affair. That's good, Right? That's not the way it works. In fact, Paul addressed that. He said, should we keep on sinning so, grace, so, so God can pour out more grace? Paul says, no, heck no, right? That's, that's the Corey translation. No, that's, uh, there'd be lots of hecks throughout in the New Testament if I wrote it. But anyways, he says, no, we shouldn't sin more so God should forgive us more. But when we understand that God is gracious and loves us, it should turn us away from sin. Sin should bother us, right? We also are called to set our hope on the grace of God. We need to acknowledge that without God's help, we are utterly lost, right? All of our hope is in Him. But we must not just say that, we must live that. What does that mean? Fundamental Christian basics 101. If we claim that we are completely dependent on Jesus, we need to pray more. Not just when the junk hits the fan, not just when the bank account's at zero, not just when we lose our job or something awful happens. We need to have a prayer life, which means we consistently, on a daily basis, talk to the Lord. We need to read the Word of God for wisdom and for direction. And we need to engage in this Christian community. I know some people are just so anti-church and eight reasons why millennials don't go to church and 12 reasons why your pastor sucks or whatever those things are, right? I know there's all these faults we can find in the church but we need Christian community. We need each other, guys. We need to get this weight. We need to get under people who are struggling and help them carry this burden. That's what God intended us to do. We need these things. We also need to trust God with our security. We need to trust Him with our future. We need to trust Him when times get tough. We need to, we need to trust that He knows the best way for us to live. We must acknowledge the grace of God and live in that. 
We must read the Word of God if we're going to become holy like He is holy, but not just read the Word of God like James said, but do the Word of God. We must submit to God's design. We must trust that God knows better than us. We talked about this last week, right? Again, how is our way working, right? We talked about that. If you just want to talk about truth and logic, how are mankind's ways working? We're still at war. We still have famine. We still have broken homes. It's not working. So we must admit that His ways work better than ours. We must believe that God has our best interests at heart. Listen, Jesus one time said to His disciples, He said, hey, you guys who are parents, and all of you parents in the room, right? He says, you guys, Jesus said this, you guys are parents and you're flawed, right? You have flaws. You have things about you that that aren't good. But when your kids come to you and they ask for food, you're not going to give them a rock. No one's going to do that with their kid. Jesus says, now, if you're going to be that benevolent, how much more do you think our perfect heavenly father cares for his children? That when we go to God needing help, do we just think God's like, eh, that's not the way he does things. He loves us and he wants to help us. So here's the thing. We must become obedient to the Word of God. Being obedient to the Word of God doesn't produce a believer, but a believer, a true believer, produces obedience. Does just doing the right thing make you square with God? No, no, no. But when we're square with God, we start to do the right thing. We start to be obedient to the Word of God. We're also not to be conformed to this world. Peter says, this is, this is huge for me, to not conform to the desires of our former ignorance. That once upon a time, we didn't know, right? We didn't know the truth. We hadn't seen the light. And so once we've seen the light, once we've seen the truth, once we've had an encounter with Jesus, it's wrong for us to slide back into our former way of living. Now, again, does that mean you're going to be perfect? No, you're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. But we need to be cautious to not not fall into a pattern of sin, not to fall into a lifestyle of sin. It's one thing for you to mess up, right, and to repent for it and say, God, I'm going to make some changes. It's another thing for us to adopt a lifestyle of messing up, to adopt a pattern of messing up. And so here's the thing. We forget as Christians, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more here in a minute, that the reason why we want to get closer to God is when we become Christians, God has adopted us not in just a run-of-the-mill family. He has adopted us into a royal family. God has called us out of darkness, not just into the light. Peter says, into a marvelous light. And he does not want his children to conform to patterns that are destructive. God's not just like a tyrannical jerk, right? I just want to tell you what to do all the time. That's not what God's doing. God knows that if we keep going the way we've been going, that it's going to lead to divorce, that it's going to lead to broken relationships, that it may even result in death because the wages of sin are death, right? That people are going to be riddled in shame and guilt and fear if we keep moving this direction. So God says, don't go down that pattern. Go down this pattern. And so our lifestyles must be set apart by God, not only for our own protection though, but because there are a lot of other people that they will see that if we follow Jesus, that our marriage will be healthier, that if we follow Jesus, our work ethic will be better. People will see that, and they will want that, and they will say, what is your secret? It's no secret. It's Jesus. I want that. And so when we live a life of holiness, other people will be blessed by it, and other people may come into a saving knowledge of Jesus because of our lifestyles.
So, the alternative to conforming to the world's patterns is holiness. That's the alternative. That's the road we want to go down. And one of the prevailing attitudes of our culture right now, though, is we don't want to work for anything. We don't want any inconvenience. We don't want any difficulties. We don't want to submit to any processes. We don't want to sacrifice or give anything up, right? We live in a culture now to where if I order a book on Amazon, it shows up in seven minutes, right? You know, here's your book. Like, wow, it's amazing, right? You know, I mean, like, we live in a culture now. I was sitting there getting a, a cup of coffee with a really nice couple from the church the other day, and a, a guy from my small group, JT, walks in, and I was like, hey, man, I was just talking about you. After you pay for your coffee, come say hi to this couple. And he goes, oh, I just do it online, man. I don't have to, I don't have to pay for my coffee here, right? We live in this culture now. I mean, he like really does Starbucks, right? He just walks in, doesn't have to speak to anyone, grabs his coffee and goes, right? And, um, but it's just crazy. Like, this is the world we live in. And I'm not busting on JT. He's a great guy most of the time. But um, <laughs> we live in this culture to where we get things so expediently and we've become so impatient and so very me-centered. But as believers, we are not to adopt this, right? Nothing wrong with getting your coffee fast or a book overnight. Nothing wrong with that. But as believers, we don't adopt the mindset of the world, that it's all about yourself. We adhere to the identity of Christ, and the identity of Christ is the sacrificial servant. What did Jesus say? I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to serve you. You're God, and you came to serve me? I don't know if you guys know this or not. You know we have nothing to offer God, right? Do you guys know that? Like he was perfect long before we ever existed, right? He's not lonely without us or any of those things. He does not need us. He has perfect community within himself. God is perfection. He doesn't, we have nothing to offer him, right? God, I'm going to bargain with you. He's like, we walk on streets of gold up here, right? He has, we have nothing to give God. Now that doesn't diminish our relationship. Get this. We have nothing to offer him, but he still wants us more than anything. That's the God we serve. He is the sacrificial servant for mankind. So ultimately, holiness or moving towards God, being holy like God is holy, building this relationship with God, it starts with our attitude. And though our outward actions, of course they're important, the change to conforming to God's holiness begins in our heart, it begins in our mind and it begins with our attitude. And when it starts in our heart and our minds and our attitude, our lifestyle's naturally gonna change. If your heart's in the right place, you're gonna treat people better. If your mind is in the right place, you're gonna make better decisions. And here's the thing, we don't earn God's grace by the good things we do, but when God has shown us his grace and we acknowledge that, we do good things. <laughs> Are we saved by our works? Nope, but we're not saved from our works either. When God has saved us, it is time to get to work because there are a lot of hurting people around us. Here's the thing. Many of us in this room, including myself, we have used excuses and we have sold ourselves short on what God can do for us. Some of you, and I've done it in the past, we have bought into the lie that we're never going to break that addiction, that we're never going to get over this hurt, that we're never going to feel secure, that we're never going to move forward. We've bought into that. Now, here's the thing. We're not going to be perfect, you know, until I'm up in heaven, like with the eight-pack eating circus peanuts for the rest of eternity, right? We're not perfect yet. It's Corey's personal heaven, but we're not there yet. One, I keep doing this like, like something's going to change here. It's not. <laughs> One day we will adopt perfect bodies and we'll be in a perfect place forever. We're not there yet though. But in the meantime, 
with commitment to Jesus Christ, commitment to his ways, we can begin to take on the nature and character of God right now, today. We can start to look at people like God, think more like God, respond more like God, start to love people more like God, love our wives and our husbands and our children. We can adopt the nature and character of God right now in the present. Let me go a little bit further. Okay, last part and we'll be done. And if you address Father, the one who judges impartially based on each one's work, you are to conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your temporary residence. For you know that you are redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from the fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or with, uh, without defect or blemish. He was chosen before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of times for you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. By obedience to the truth, having purified yourselves for sincere love of the brothers, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not from perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and enduring Word of God. So when we come into a relationship with God, our character does not stay the same. Listen, and I'm not trying to be mean. If you have come into a relationship with God, but there has been no change in your character, you probably need to go back to the source again. God takes character development extremely serious. If we have been adopted, as the Bible says, into a royal priesthood, if the Bible says that when we become believers in Jesus, we are a holy people set apart by God for a mission. If we are royal, holy, and set apart by God, there is a standard by which God expects us to live. We are given a great privilege by God, and a conscious rejection of His standards does not go unnoticed by God. He notices when we are rejecting his standards. And now I know we don't like to talk about this. People don't like to talk about this. This is not the way to grow a church, right? Everyone says God is love. And God is love. When you read the Bible, it says implicitly, God is love. God is love. I get that. But perfect love, which is what God is, in perfect love, we also have perfect justice. In order to have perfect justice, you must have a perfect righteous judge. And God is that too. God's judgment is not based simply on our outward appearance or our pretense. And whatever masks we try to put on, God sees through those things. Now, you know what's funny about North American church? I know we don't do it here, right? But in North America, and I'm not trying to make fun of churches that do. But in North American church, we put on our best, right? Our church clothes, we call them, right? Put on our best stuff and we put on our best masks at church. We come to church and we're all dressed up and we look super sharp and we're like, you good, I'm good, you're good, hey, we're all good, right? Everything's good, right? Why are we even coming to church? Everything's perfect, right? Everything's good. And sometimes people ask, why do you, you know, wear flip-flops and jeans and t-shirts? Because if there's any place where you should be able to come and be you, it should be the church, right? If there's any place you should be able to come and take off the mask, my God, I hope it's here. Because God's judgment deals with our character not simply our actions, because our actions can be smoke screams for a time. It's not even a shock anymore when we hear about a megachurch pastor who's, you know, a serial killer on the side or something, right? 
We're not even shocked by that anymore. Wow, that pastor's been, you know, a meth addict for 10 years. That's crazy, right? And we're not even shocked by that because people have gotten so good at masks and their actions cover those things for a time. But eventually the truth always comes up, right? So what, what Peter says is this, and this is a huge verse. He says, as we are temporary residents in this life, we have to remember that we are working towards our eternity. And since we are temporary residents on this earth, we're not going to be here forever, that we need to have a proper fear of God. That is not a fear of God's wrath. Because as Christians, you're never going to experience God's wrath if you have a relationship with Him. The kind of fear that Peter is speaking of is there needs to be a reverence that motivates children, that's us, to please their father. There's a certain respect, a certain reverence, a certain fear of God's power that we should want to please God. Now, should we respect God's power? Of course we should respect God's power. But it should be a love of the truth, not a fear of damnation that drive us to a life of holiness. Say it one more time. It should be a love for God, not a fear of hell that drive us to want to be more like God. If you're here just because you're afraid, that's not the kind of motivator God likes to use. God uses love to draw people towards him, not fear, not hatred, not the fear of damnation and hell. And so verse 18 and 19 remind the Christian that once upon a time, and man, there's so many testimonies in this room. Once upon a time, we lived lives that were empty and we lived lives that were perishable. And he says, Peter says, we weren't pulled out of those old lives by money, right? It wasn't gold and silver that bought us out of that. It was blood. It was the blood that a father gave his only child to die for us. And that saved us from our depraved lives, saved us from our bankrupt existences. And the reason why many of us, including myself, have failed at times to grow in our relationship with God and grow in holiness is a lot of us have forgotten how bad used to, uh, life used to be before we knew Jesus. We get comfortable, we get settled, right? I don't know if any of you guys have stories you know, like this where you lived a certain, you, know, you went through the party phase or I remember back when I played music for a living and I'd have people still to this day come up and they're like, man, you remember the days, right? You know, like you were up there and we were down here and like the rock and roll and those were great days. And I'm like, no. <laughs> I was addicted to drugs in those days, you know, like lost my wife in those days, tried to kill myself in those days. Like those weren't good times at all. You know, I mean, there were little blips here and there, but overall, no, I was, I was quite lonely and depressed and sad most of those times. But we have a tendency to romanticize the past. Man, you remember when? I don't want to remember when. Like we're moving forward and God is taking us someplace better than we've ever been, you know? And so when we have a life of personal holiness, when we have committed, you and I, when we have committed to following God, it doesn't just affect us. My buddy JT, he's not here this weekend, so I'm just going to talk about him a lot. <laughs> JT, um, who comes to my life group, when I first met this guy, I guess, man, almost a year ago, when he started coming to my life group, he just all these walls, right? Tough guy, been really hurt, and just a lot of scars and a lot of anger inside of him. And over this course of time, just, just, just walking with him, and he fell in love with the Word of God. I mean, read, reads it just ridiculously all the time, just loves the Word of God, loves talking about the Word of God, has this awesome prayer life. He opens the church five days a week at 5.30 in the morning, comes in here and opens the church and prays for a couple of hours and leaves at about 7.30 and does that all the time. He's, he's in his mid-20s. He's one of those unsalvageable millennials, right? Just can't be fixed, Right? 
and just killing it, just knocking it out of the park. This guy over time has just grown to love people. And 13 of his family members now come to church and have a relationship with Jesus just in the time that he's been growing himself, right? So here's the point though, 13, right, in one year. But when we commit to following Jesus, it doesn't just bless us. It blesses people all around us. We start to look at people different, treat people differently. If you talk to JT now, when he talks about what God has done for him and how much he loves people, like guy like cries all the time now. And verse 22 and 23 says that when we have adopted holiness, when we have a relationship with God, we earnestly love other people. We don't just say it, we feel it. We love other people because it's only by God's love in us that we can love other people the way we should. The only way we can see people like Jesus sees people is if Jesus is inside of us and it changes everything. So, wrapping it up, Peter said that we need to be holy like God is holy. How? In everything we do. That we need to be closer to God in everything we do. I'm going to be redundant here, okay? But just let me recap. If we receive God's love, we honestly believe that God loves us ridiculously. When we do that, we will repent for our sin and we will set our minds on following Jesus. When we do that, how we talk, our attitude, how we work, our integrity, how we treat other people, everything about us will change. It will start to look differently because a relationship with God allows us to become holy like God is holy. And when we start to become holy like God is holy, we take on the nature of God. We start to adopt the way he does things. Now, when we do that, listen, you will see a change now. Not just in the future, not just in eternity, not just one day far away. You will start to see a change now. When we are obedient to the truth, when we are purifying ourselves by repenting and changing our hearts and minds and actions, we will dramatically see a shift with our lives. Doesn't mean you're gonna have more money, doesn't, I mean, you may, but it doesn't ensure that you're going to have more money in your bank account. It doesn't ensure that you're going to live in a nicer home or get a promotion at work. That's not what, it, what God does is God gives us contentment even if we have nothing else. <laughs> That's one of the reasons why God is so unique. And there's nothing wrong with having nice things or having those things. But God says, regardless of your circumstances, you can have peace and comfort and joy even if the world around you is burning. We can have that now if we pursue holiness, if we pursue God. We will also have a sincere love for one another and we will start to change the world around us. We talked about it last week. If all, just us in the room, right? This is only a fourth of our church roughly, right? We do four services. If all of us in this room, just at one, one quarter of our church, if all of us were to commit, pinky swear, right? That we're gonna go out and treat everyone the way we wanna be treated you would see a dramatic shift in your workplace, in your schools, in your city, all over the place, you would see a dramatic shift in the culture around you, in your world, and your microcosm, if we did that. We would see a change almost instantaneously in our city. Here's the real important part about holiness. Not only will we see a change in this world, in how this world operates and how we interact with each other, the true Christian the true believer in Jesus Christ, the true person who subscribes to this book knows that one day Jesus is coming back. And I'm not trying to use this as a scare tactic. I'm not trying to make you afraid. 
The true believer knows that Jesus is coming back one day, and he's coming back for a specific kind of person, one that has set themselves apart as holy like God is holy. And so people ask, why is this so important? Why is coming to church and reading the Bible and treating people the way we should, why are all of these things significant? Because our time here is temporary. It is temporary. And this temporary time that we have as temporary residents on this earth, the Bible says, we are investing in what comes after. And what comes after is eternity. So what weighs in the balance? Everything. Bigger than your marriage, bigger than your children, bigger than our city, nation, government, bigger than all that. Everything, everything. And it's not just you. Your personal holiness is not just about you. That's why Jesus' last instruction was to go, go, because there is a world that is drowning. Listen, the next time you look at your neighbor or the next time you're at work and that person in the cubicle next to you that is just an awful person, right? And when it crosses your mind that I want nothing to do with them, take a step back and say, I don't care how bad I think they are, eternity is in the balance for that person. Everything is on the line. The eternity of our children, the eternity of our friends and family, everything. Why is it important that you have a personal relationship with Jesus? That is the meaning of this life. People are digging for the meaning of life. This is it. For you to build a relationship with the creator, the architect, the artist, the designer, God. In all four services, and it rarely goes this way because they're all so different, I have felt the need. In the last three months, there's been four families, four people who've come to this church who have taken their life in just one quarter of the year. There is a people right now, and I would guess many of you in this room, who don't feel like you're valuable. And there is a God that looked down on the only thing that he ever made that looked like him. And he saw that we were broken. And he saw that we were lonely. And he saw that we were wanting. So he sent his only son to be nailed to a hunk of wood and hang there for nine hours and bleed to pay back all the debt that we had acquired. And he didn't do that because you were perfect. He knew that you were sinners. And it is not his will that any should perish. That's what the Bible says. If you are in this room and you struggle with value and worth, I don't care if no one on planet earth thinks you're anything. The God that created planet earth thinks you're everything. Everything. He loves you. He loves you. And at the core basic level, if we're ever going to be like God, 
we have to know that we're loved by God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, if you're in here and you are not a Christian, you're not a believer, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I hope that we've made you feel welcome and comfortable, and I hope that you feel at home. If you're struggling with faith or struggling with doubt or if you're just looking for answers, all I ask of you if you're not a believer in here is just keep digging, keep looking. If you have questions, email them to me. I'll do my best. I don't always have the answers, but I'll do my best. Or maybe there's books I can refer to you, or maybe there's other counselors. We'll do whatever we can. If you're really digging, let us help you. If you're in this room and you're a Christian, but maybe you've made some bad choices, maybe you've forgotten how far God has brought you, maybe you've slid back into some bad behaviors or, or just made some poor choices, listen, all you have to do, because the Father loves you, you ask God to forgive you and let it be forgiven. God casts it into the deep sea, the Bible says. And if you're in here and you struggle with worth and feeling loved or valued, I'm going to ask you, and I don't mean this derogatory, ask God to forgive you that you haven't trusted Him or that you haven't believed in His love. And then after you've asked God to forgive you of that, go to one of our communion stations, take that bread and take that juice and remember that God loved you so much that he gave his only child for you. While you were a sinner, he died. How gracious, how beautiful this story is. If you need prayer for anything, we have elders of the church that can they'll pray with you up here at the front if you need prayer. But know you're loved. And know that you can be more like God than you ever thought you could. He loves you. He values you. Jesus, I love you so much, God. For everyone in this room who may be struggling with their value, with their worth, Father, let them just, let them look up and let them know that you're up there, God, and that you're looking down, and you know everything about them. You know every insecurity, you know every mistake, you know, and you still love them. God, Lord, let them feel that love. Let them know, God, that you're with them, as your word says, till the end of the earth. God, if there's people in here who's made some mistakes and they need to repent, Lord, just let them do that in humility. And Lord, let them know that they are forgiven. And if there's anyone in here, Father, that is looking for the truth or maybe they're struggling with faith, I just pray, God, that you continue to encourage them and move them forward. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And it's in your son's name that we pray, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys to death. I hope you have a great week until I see you next week.